The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. It's another episode of Shaken and Stirred. Aren't you excited? I know you've been missing us all week. Well, we've been missing you too. But hey, we had had a cocktail or two in the meantime and a feeling rather dandy. I'm Nigel Barker. I'm in New York. I'm with my pal, Tom Astor. Well, not exactly with, but um, Zooming with. Tom, how are you, mate? Hey, nice. Good, thanks. Yeah. Back, back in the UK, a little bit later than you as usual. And all good here. Good news yesterday. It looks like we're coming out of the... Uh, we've been given the June uh, restriction-free existence. Well, we've got a few months to go, but uh, we've been given light at the end of the tunnel for this this pandemic thing to be over. And we'd be back on apparently full tilt by uh, end of June, which is good. Very good, very good. Exactly. It's funny, it's, you guys have, in, in the UK have been far more controlled with the pandemic as far as you know the shutdown and staying at home than we have in the US. We feel like we're being restricted here in the US, but we are really not. I mean, even New York, which is one of the more severe states as far as you know, kids not going to school and stuff like that, you can still mingle, you can still see people, you can still go to restaurants. In fact, you can eat in restaurants where we are and you have been able to all year and last into the end of last year. And yet we feel that we're restricted. But you that's really not the case in the UK, is it? Well, you know what? We have been restricted, but we've got the highest death rate from this thing in Europe. We've over 100,000 people. America passed the 500,000 mark, uh, not quite recently. One of the reasons we're coming out of it in June before anyone else has made an announcement in Europe or anything is because we got out of Europe just during this pandemic at Christmas. We broke away from the EU and we were able to pre-order vaccine uh, straight from the factories without the bureaucracy of Brussels. So the European Union and its 28 or 27 countries are struggling to, to catch up. And it's a it's kind of real boost for people who wanted to break away from the EU because they're saying, well, you know, look, we've managed to get our whole population vaccinated and we're ready to go in June. You know, the EU is way behind. It hasn't vaccinated 10% of what we have. So that's been a success story. The death rate hasn't, I'm afraid. But I heard today, too, that Biden's turned it around and everything's slowing down. Death rates have already started to slow down and there is a plan being put in place. You know, you know what I think? I, I think we need to stop saying death rates. I think I want to know what you're drinking, Tom, because that's all very, very good, but I'm moving swiftly on to cocktails. What are you drinking, old boy? We're not going to do death. <laughs> We're not going to do any more death rates. No, moving on from death rates, Tom. Moving on from death rates. Well, if you feel like you're at death's door, you should be drinking what I'm drinking this evening. I am having, it's quite late here, but I'm having a digestif in the form of a drink called a genepi, which is spelled G-N-E-P-I. I have a bottle of it here, which a friend of mine gave me. I think I've had this on the show before. It's from the High Alps. It's from a wormwood flower, traditional herb liqueur and digestif. It's been appreciated since the Middle Ages. You have to go and pick these little flower heads from literally the High Alps in July and August. And some physicians have confirmed its reputation is justified for the treatment against hot and cold, which I am neither hot or cold this evening, but I decided to drink it just in case. It looks very, very sweet, Tom, in that little thimble of a glass, that little sherry glass you're drinking. Quite strong. And, and, and I must say that, um, well, please be careful, but the, what I, because uh, I know how you like to indulge, and you know, you're not very good at very strong, small drinks, but that bottle that you picked up with that handmade label, it looks more akin to a urine sample than it does actually to, uh, so I would be rather careful what you're drinking. From the that is 10-year-old Genepi, so the wormwood. The green hue or the urinous hue to it is the color coming off the dogwood, uh, the dogwood flower heads. 
over time. The more urinous the hue, the, the, the better the drink. Fantastic. Well, there you go, people. You heard it here on Shaken and Stirred from the Snapper. The more urinous the hue, the better the brew. There we go. <laughs> and I, myself, I have gone incredibly classique. I decided to go, oh. and it's, I kind of got into this recently. I don't, you know, do you know how you go through barracks and where you just all of a sudden crave something? And I've been drinking all these sort of unusual cocktails throughout the whole Christmas holiday period and, you know, festive. I've been making all these things with, you know, various fizzy drinks and cranberries and blueberries and raspberries and daiquiris and, you know, with all, multiple different liquors. And I think that I kind of just got over it in a way and I wanted to go. And, and recently I've gone down the martini road. So Vespers and dirty martinis and classic martinis, dry martinis. And this is a dry gin martini made with monkey 47 which as you know is this beautiful very expensive gin may even be the most expensive gin on the market made with 47 botanicals that has a fabulous story we featured it before on shaken and stirred a while ago and it has this great story by an, an english commander who uh, during the second world war based in germany in berlin was making his own gin, as Englishmen used to, because they're fond of a gin and tonic at the end of the day, made his own gin, went to the Black Forest, picked his 47 botanicals, and actually fell in love with a monkey at the Berlin Zoo. And after the war, after all that happened, the zoo went bankrupt, and the animals had to be given away or put down. And he went in and rescued this monkey from the Berlin Zoo and decided to stay in Germany and created this fabulous gin called Monkey 47, named after the 47 botanicals he picked from the Black Forest and his pet monkey. And we're drinking it now. And it is absolutely delicious with a twist, by the way, and a little bit of ransom, ransom dry vermouth thrown in, just a dash. Cheers. Yes, definitely better than rancid. You want to get that wrong. Here's cheers. Mm. So whilst we're drinking and sipping, I hope you guys are at home and making yourself a drink, having a cocktail with us. Time for a little booze news. Latest booze news. What is going on in the world? I'll start with a little booze news, I think, just to get us going. But rather fun. You know, Jay-Z being a bit, a bit of a champagne man, and, uh, you know, obviously he used to be into his crystal, but more recently uh, moved into Ace of Spades and he sold half of it to LVMH, 50% of the brand. And it is sort of uh, causing a bit of a stir. It's going mainstream. And I think that, you know, there's no doubt that um, Jay-Z has not got any champagne problems right now, <laughs> to say the very least. What do you think about a $300 bottle of Ace of Spades from uh, LVMH via Jay-Z? The Armand de Brignac champagne, which right. Jay-Z, they think, basically, Philippe Schaus, I think he's the CEO of LVMH, will benefit from partnering with a, with a black cultural leader. And Jay-Z has said he loves to benefit from a company that's got massive distribution. And really is worth, I, I'm kind of looking into this, and, I, and there's some black professionals apparently make up 2% of the drinks industry in the US, despite accounting for 13% of the population. So it's a kind of funny one because where's it gonna go? Where's the market? Is this just one massive untapped market for LVMH kind of like? Well, the luxury market has is, is, is been way behind when it comes to you know, using black leaders and, and, you know, people of color in general in any of their marketing and advertising. It's always been the case. And I think it's high time, quite frankly, that 
someone like Jay-Z is represented in, in a category like champagne. I mean, and there's no doubt that certainly in, you know, in the music industry, champagne and, you know, there's been how many shout outs to things like Cristal and things like that in various songs and everything else. It's, it's a big part of the culture. So I think it's a good move, no doubt, certainly for LVMH, even if they're very slow behind the, behind the curve. And hopefully other brands will get behind this too and, and make a difference because, you know, as you just mentioned, they're being poorly represented. But this relates more to you. This is another LVMH purchase they have got involved with ice cream. They <laughs> whistle pig, to say the least, which is the reason why I thought of you, Tom. That's the, the name of a whiskey. Don't roll your eyes. It's a bourbon, for God's sakes. But they have partnered with Ben and Jerry's and um, have created a, a new ice cream flavor called the Whiskey Biz. It's, by all accounts, very, very delicious. It, it features a, a whiskey caramel swirls in brown butter bourbon ice cream base. And the ice cream also is loaded with blondy brown chunks and uh, topped with a white chocolatey ganache and white fudge pieces. And it actually sounds really quite delicious. And interesting thing here, going back to, as I mentioned, was that Murray and Hennessy actually acquired a stake in Whistlepig more recently. And, and there's been a whole sway of these sort of whiskey and drink varietals of ice cream with them. Um, I think I mentioned it before on the show too, but you know, you may, you may remember around Christmas time this year, Dwayne The Rock Johnson came out with his salt and straw holiday flavored Terramana tequila ice cream, which uh, I can't say I loved. Clearly for people without children. I mean, otherwise you get- Clearly for people without children. On that note, our guest today is a TV host with DraftKings. East Bay and Players Tribune, and more interestingly, a professional softball phenomenon. She made history in 2016 as the first woman to receive a Rawlings Gold Glove, best known for her flashy acrobatic catches and motivational speeches. She's graced the covers of magazines, including ESPN's Body Issue, and was actually the first softball player in 10 years to be featured in the magazine. Host of ESPN's TV special, Unapologetic the black female athlete and creator of Empower Her, empowerment discussions, striving to inspire women in sports to dream bigger and achieve more. Please welcome AJ Andrews. AJ, welcome. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Our pleasure. So we, as always on Shaken and Stirred, we have a little cocktail moment. And what are you drinking? So I'm actually drinking a little bit. It's a fancy mix. I call it my own Stella remix. So a little Stella Rosa wine, but I had raspberries, outside of peaches, pineapple juice, and then I blended it together. Whoa. It's really good. It, it sounds extraordinary. Well, here, cheers, by the way. <laughs> cheers. Cheers to you, my love. And, and when you taste that drink, how does it make you feel? What does it taste like? It sounds like a real cocktail of unusual sort of things, like a daiquiri of sorts. Yeah, that's probably what it is. I actually, I went to LSU, Louisiana State University. And so all I know is daiquiris. I love a good daiquiri. And that's probably exactly what it's inspired by. But I hadn't thought about it that way. But I, it's tart. I love tart drinks. Tom is also fond of a tart. Um, but that is completely different. And we won't go there, Tom. <laughs> so we'll move, move swiftly <laughs> on. Um, AJ, listen, you have quite the resume and you are about to launch your own podcast, which is brilliant. And that the podcast is called Barrier Breaking Women with AJ Andrews. And it's going to be launched by Embassy Row, who also do our podcast. So we are sort of almost related, AJ. 
I was going to say that we're family. It's all family. I'm glad yep. to join. I'm at my cousin's house right now. We're just talking. Fantastic. There you go. <laughs> Actually, well, this is your the cousin that you hide from most people is what you're about to experience right now. <laughs> but we're about to open it all up and reveal. Um, Tom doesn't get out much, by the way, as he's based in Oxford and he's been on lockdown for about three years, I think, at this point, <laughs> of the majority of his life. But, um, you know, I felt sorry for him and decided to do a podcast with him. And, and ever since then, he's really got to meet all kinds of wonderful people, haven't you, Tom? Yeah, all thanks to you, Nigel. You're amazing. I, you know, so great. AJ, I mean, you know, everyone needs a friend like Nigel. What can I say? There you go. No sarcasm sensed at all. I'm no. English. We don't do sarcasm. <laughs> so, AJ, talk to us. Knocking down fences on PBS. You've got this extraordinary resume. You're the first woman, I guess, to win this Rawlings Gold Glove. Take us back to when you were a kid, because I, I had to do a bit of research. I didn't know that much even about the Rawlings Gold Glove. And when I first read it and I'm like, OK, so she's the first woman. What does that even mean? And then I look into <laughs> it and I, I'm like, OK, this is not an award which is really given to women or or softball players, really. It's it's sort of a baseball. Right. And And so there was a bit of a move there. But before we get to that. You as a kid, have you always been into sport? Has it was the, the dream to be a softball player? And, and tell, talk to us about that. Yeah, I've played sports ever since I can remember. I actually was an avid soccer player. Soccer was my favorite sport when I was younger, but I tried everything. I've tried. I was a cheerleader. I played basketball. I ran track. Softball is actually one of the last sports that I picked up, but I tried tennis. I tried swimming. Some things, some things didn't stick. I threw a lot of things at the wall. Many didn't stick, but softball was one of the sports that stuck. And I was just an extremely competitive kid. Like I, you know, you have kids going out and wanting to have fun. I wanted to win and it wasn't fun to me if I didn't win. And softball was really kind of that first sport where I was just excited to be out there. And I remember my first experience I was making a diving catch in the grass. I'm from Florida. So the grass was really, really wet outside. And it was like a slip and slide. And I was, you know, I mean, I'm 11, 12 years old. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is a sport for me. And, you know, I think that just moving forward, it just, my fun grew more to competitiveness. And I always had the drive to be the best, but I think you actually love this story, Nigel, because my entire drive to go play college softball or just a college sport in general was because my dad one year put a cap on my back to school shopping. And I was like, I was heartbroken. And I told him, listen, there's no reason for you to put a budget on my back to school shopping. How about you take whatever you're saving for college and add it to my budget this year and I'll just get a scholarship to go play and you don't have to pay for college. And like ever, my dad, he said these, you know, really motivational words. There's always someone better. You better work hard. And of course that stuck to me, but that was my initial motivation to get a college scholarship was so that I could have extra money on my budget back to school shopping. There you go. <laughs> there you have it, Tom. You know what to do. So I mean, that's a great reason to go and get a scholarship. <laughs> it is a funny thing though in, in the US where there's no doubt that, you know, I have lots of friends who have got, you know, young kids now or kids certainly in their teens. And it's, you know, obviously sport, it, they're almost like in their heads. It's a sort of play sport in order to get a scholarship to college. I mean, that is, it's almost, it's like almost one of the reasons why you do it. And I only say it's funny and only because I, you know, perhaps, you know, just it's a different sort of system in the UK, but then there's no doubt people do get scholarships into college for sports, but it isn't talked about nearly as much. It isn't the biggest, as big a deal. It's much right. more one of those things where you play sport because you're good at it or you play sport because you like it. But there's this, a lot of pressure on kids to sort of get a scholarship to somehow, if you're not good at sport, 
affect the rest of your life because you won't have got into college because you can't afford to get into college. Is that a pressure on you too? I mean, clearly you you put it on yourself, it sounds like. <laughs> but um, talk to us about that too. It's definitely very different. I actually played professional softball in Italy last year. And so I played with a lot of girls that were at university. They didn't even call it college, you know, going to university. And it was just very different. They were still working or going to school while playing pro. So in pro was after college in the United States. But as far as the pressure to get that scholarship when I was younger, I never didn't necessarily feel the pressure as a kid to where I'm like, I have to get this if I want to go to college or I have to play softball, I have to play a sport and be really good at it in order to make it to the next level and to go to school because I knew that was taken care of as far as with my family. I do think a lot of people are not as fortunate and a lot of people, you know, they feel that pressure because they want to make a better life for themselves. And depending on where you live in America, because not everyone is offered those same opportunities to excel you know, a lot of times people see getting a college scholarship to play a sport as a way out. Um, I will say, though, you know, the travel ball system or AU system where you get recruited to go get a scholarship to play college ball, whatever sport it is, is extremely competitive. And a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. I never was like that because I'm one of those people that don't even like know my stats. Right. I don't like to add on pressure to myself. But it is definitely an intense situation and kids getting recruited younger and younger now. Kids aren't even having fun playing sports anymore. It's all about, well, how can I get recruited? Because now kids are starting to get recruited at 14 years old. So, yeah, the system is it's a lot. And I think it does drive a lot of issues and a lot of insecurity among especially a lot of women trying to get that scholarship to go play ball. You know, you mentioned it right off the beginning where you you sort of said you, you first did that thing and it was like a bit of a slip and slide and you almost fell on your face. And but it, but you then were like, oh, this is a sport for me. Watching you play, you go for that ball, you jump for that ball, you fly for that ball. And it's as if you have absolutely no fear whatsoever of falling flat on your face. Yeah, no, I don't have any, I don't think about it at all. And, and it's so funny. People say that all the time, or, you know, a lot of kids have a fear of going into the fence and it's almost to me, like I do it before. I'm like, okay, well it didn't hurt that bad or it'll only hurt for a little bit. Like that's my mentality. If it hurts, it'll only hurt for a little bit. But for me, it's kind of, I take great pride. And when I'm in the outfield, I think of it as, as my territory, as my domain. Like I am a lion on the prowl. And if you decide to hit anything near my hunting ground, it's going to get eaten up, period. And so it's just, I have a full focus on that ball and nothing else. Everything is kind of secondary. My main focus is that ball. And, you know, I think that that's why I'm so successful. I just don't care. I'm going to get you out. I'm trying to ruin people's days. That's that's my goal. You must be the most sort of terrifying uh, person to have in uh, playing against. I mean, actually, I, li- I listened to your your film as well, the Knocking Down Fences little piece, which is a great, great film about your sort of life and career and, and getting, getting to where you are now. But there are players who have played with you and they sort of said how they've sort of come head to head, careered into you and thought like, oh my goodness, what just happened? Because they both, you know, you both jumped for the ball at the same time, but you ended up with the, whole, with the ball in your hand and they didn't, you know, at the end of the day, they were like kind of dusting themselves off and you were like, I actually caught the ball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess you take no prisoners. Is that the mentality? Like no matter what you are, like you said, this is your t- domain and I will get it. And that's just the way you think. You don't care what it means, what, it, what how, you know, how you get there. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I put I put so much hard work in everything that I do. Every time I'm out on the field, 
I am going 110%, whether it's a game or whether it's in practice. And I just feel like I know what I'm capable of. And on teams, you have to work with people in order for them to know what you're capable of too. But in my opinion, I'm, I'm better off showing you than telling you. So, you know, the story you're talking about, she learned very quick what I'm going to get to and what I can get, right? And it's just kind of that thing. Like if I'm calling the ball, the ball is mine. I don't feel like it's an ego thing. It's just that I know what I can get to. And this is all the benefit of the team. And we're all, I'm all about winning and all about making sure that people understand. It's about making people feel nervous, right? If you can get into the mind of an athlete before the game even starts or before they come up to bat, you've already won. And if I'm making all these catches in the outfield and a batter comes up and like, gosh, I just don't want to hit to AJ. I don't want to hit anywhere near AJ. I'm altering their game already. I'm altering their plan. And that's kind of sidestepping and creating a whole new way of thinking once they come up to the plate. And if you're able to create that, that, that sense of doubt in any athlete, whether it is that athlete on the hitter, but then that confidence in my pitcher, it just is going to elevate our team to the next level. And so I'm out to let people know that, yeah, as you said, I'm not to be played with. So you should just hope you're on my team. <laughs> I've done with by, via reputation as opposed to like kind of in the run up to a game, like writing them letters, like threatening letters. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that was one way to do it, but I haven't, you know, I think that's a good idea. I maybe should dabble into that. Yeah, met- Some letters. Check our legal, check our legal this, but you can probably write. <laughs> But, you know, kind of the psychological aspect of winning, you know, take advantage of that. He's only safe because he experienced it when he went to school with me and because we went to school together since we were 13. And I used to write vicious little notes to him and, and leave it on his on his gear that he was going to fail in the game. And of course he did. And he's never really got over it. You know, it's been a... <laughs> Luckily, Nigel's almost kind of, I mean, not illiterate. He left school quite early. He couldn't really write very well. So I never actually could read the notes in the first place. But anyway, I, I, I pretended. Oh, nice. Enough about you. I, I believed it. I believed it. Talk to us about this Rawlings Gold Glove. So this is a big deal. This, is, this isn't just winning something. This isn't just you know, a glove that people win for being the best. You were the first woman to win it. Is softball, is it considered to be the same as baseball? No, right? It's a different sport, but it's similar because it's, one is played by women and one's played by men. And But th- is it because it's for catching? I mean, what, why is it? I mean, what, you know, in a way, I'm just sort of trying to get my head around, like, I get it, but why isn't that your own award? Or would a award that goes to women, it, it, would that be given to a man or and vice versa? Talk to, what does that mean? That What's that whole world about? Right. So professional softball or just softball and baseball in general, it's essentially the same concept. You're basically playing the same sport, but just with slightly different set of rules. So baseball or softball field is a little bit shorter than a baseball field. We as played softball, as, by the way. In the UK, I played softball. Yeah, no, in the UK, we played softball. So I actually played softball myself. Okay. But I, I, we didn't play baseball in England, but I, that's the one game I actually did play in the, U, in the UK when I came to America. And I'm like, oh, actually, I know softball. And everyone was like, well, girls play softball. And I'm like... Well, it was at school. It was the sport you did when you were no good at any of the other sports. When they, like, no one would... It, it might have been. <laughs> It might have been. <laughs> in England, it's a sport. We know, you and I know what softball is. We've all played it. But it's a kind of like a game, like it's more like rounders, an English game called rounders, which is a kind of, it's a, I mean, is the only difference part of the shorter field is the difference is the ball size, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're. Yeah, the, 
the ball size is different, but also you can take a lead in baseball. You can't take a lead in softball. And that's all due to the different size of the field. Again, you know, the pitcher for baseball pitches overhand, pitcher for softball goes underhand. You know, there's just a little bit, they're just small intricacies that are different between, but in reality, it's really the same game, right? Well, there's seven innings in softball, nine innings in baseball, but it's all played the same way. You have to hit to run to score three, three outs, you know, you're done three strikes, you're out. And so for, as far as the gold glove award, for 59 years that have been given to baseball players. And the reason why there shouldn't have been ever a difference between the softball and baseball is because it's, it's depending on how great you are on defense. So for those that don't know Rollins Gold Glove Award, why it's prestigious is because it's given to the best defender on the field. And so it's basically celebrating the athlete that is just the best at their position in baseball. They give it to all nine players. So there's a wrong be- glove award for the best right fielder in baseball, center fielder, pitcher, you know, keep going and softball is only given to one. So me being an outfielder, I had to not only be the best outfielder, but I had to be the best on the whole team in general. So best softball player on defense period. And I think the reason why they gave it to softball now is because it was kind of a feeling of, well, why not? Why wouldn't you give it to softball? Why wouldn't you recognize softball players for their amazing achievements on the field the way you recognize baseball? Because there really is no difference when you're talking about defense between the two sports. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a historic moment for women because before 2016, when I won the gold glove, you know, it wasn't an award that any girl aspire to win, whether you're a softball player, but if you were to ask, you know, young baseball players what they want to be, a lot of them are going to say gold glovers. So I think it's really cool opportunity now to have so many young girls say that, Oh, when I get older, I want to be a gold glover too. So when you got this gold glove, how did that affect your life? Did it affect endorsements? Did it affect people wanting to, you know, put you on magazines? Like what, what did it do? <laughs> Is it like an Oscar? Is it like all of a sudden, you know, people are like calling you up I mean, you can't play for another team necessarily, but are there other opportunities that come along with it? You know, you would think that there would be just kind of this red carpet of opportunities that come after a woman making history like that, but it wasn't necessarily as glamorous as I think if I were someone that didn't know about the award, I'm learning about the award and hearing how, Oh my God, you made history. There's, you must have had all these things happen for you right. after that. And, you know, it just wasn't the case. And I think it's really interesting to talk about that because there really isn't a reason why not, right? If a, you hear about men achieving all these things, the smallest the smallest statistics, someone struck someone out with three runners on on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock, right? That's a stat somewhere and someone's going to talk about it. But for women, when you make history, sometimes seldom do those women get recognized. And you know, for me, I wasn't recognized that much for that year. I actually got a YouTube video, but if you follow the Gold Glove Award, the men get a full ESPN production. So I was a little bit, you know, thrown to the side when it comes to that regard. I don't feel like people really learned or heard about it the way that they should have. And then people kind of gradually started hearing and knowing about it. And I was able to be in the body issue. I got asked to be in the body issue the following year, 2017. And that was the first time that a woman, a softball player had been in the body issue for 10 years. And so, yeah, some things continue to go, but I think a lot of that was due to me never being quiet about it, right? I was always very outspoken about winning this award, about young girls being able to win it as well, about how I feel like it deserved more recognition for the women that come after me. And I think that that's when I really started to begin getting more noticed, I guess, like I started getting more noticed for what I was doing, but not necessarily because the award had happened and everybody knew about it. And it's like, Oh, we got to see what this girl is doing. It's kind of like this award was won. 
she's talking about it. Why didn't I know about this? AJ, I would love to hear your opinion on this. And then, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. So I think um, in the words of Snoop Dogg, you know, sometimes I would like to thank me for believing in me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Was the photographer who shot you for the magazine when you were there for the first time in 10 years, was it a man or a woman? It was a man. Shocker. So there's another another not surprising um, statistic right there. This is, again, this is often the case. And it was the body issue, you said? Yes, the East this, body issue. Now, was this the shoot that you did where, were you nude in the shoot or partly clothed or? Yes, I was nude. So what is that about where, where you win, you get to win something, you get to be the first woman and they take all your clothes off. I mean, is that just <laughs> in itself seems like degrading right there, even if it was the first time in 10 years. Yeah. You sound like my dad. What are you doing? But, do, the men, do the men do it as well? Yeah, no, they do. They take the clothes off? Yeah, the yeah. East, so the ESPN body issue is to celebrate athletes' bodies in yeah, general. Yeah. So it's women and men that are both in the body issue. It's notoriously about being you're naked, but it's about showing the athleticism in the body. So they don't show any private parts. Nothing is exposed. It's Okay, well, then, fair enough then, fair enough, except for the fact that I bet you when the men do it, they don't have female photographers shooting them. I have not looked into it. I don't right. know. Well, I bet, I'm just saying because it makes it <laughs> what might might make it might make it more uncomfortable for you. And I just, you know, as far as fairness, you know, for you to be able to be comfortable in that environment, and this happens in Hollywood too, in sex scenes, in all kinds of situations where the body is used or in some on some level that where what can we do to make you feel most comfortable? And perhaps you were 100 percent comfortable, and you may well be just because you are comfortable in yourself, but that may not always be the case. And I'm just always it's always interesting, and I know that for you, you I've been talking about women in I mean, I work uh, with the United Nations um, and have been a he for she advocate and helped launch that with Emma Watson. And I'm actually one of the ambassadors for the Girl Up initiative for the United Nations. And I've always been since my daughter was born. So I'm, I'm all about, you know, female empowerment. And you bring up an interesting sort of question. And you've been talking about it sort of on and off in this conversation, which is the sort of fairness in pay when it comes to women athletes and, and certainly play in softball and, and the, you know, how that equates to male men playing and what they're getting paid and what have you. And you've sort of alluded to it here. I know that this is something you talk about a lot and it's actually a conversation that comes up in my family quite a bit, you know, because I, my son, you know, he likes to play devil's advocate quite a bit and he'll sort of say, well, you know, cause he watches the NBA and you know, you know how much they get paid these guys, these basketball players. And we're certainly in the, WBA, you know, it's it's a completely different pay structure, right? And, and they're not getting anything like what. And this is very similar in softball, correct? As far as you know, baseball is concerned. Yeah, it's definitely all across the board where you see women just not being paid adequately. And I think so many people think when they talk about pay discrepancies that we want to be paid the exact same way that the men are being paid. In reality, we just want to be paid for our value. We want to be paid for what it is that we're that's being brought in. So. When it comes to the WNBA that you spoke about, right, they're not asking to get these $100 million contracts that these baseball players are getting, but in reality, to get paid for the equity that they have actually put in, which was not being, which was not happening. Um, and then in softball, in my personal sport, I speak about it in my documentary, but a lot of us can qualify to apply for food stamps. A lot of girls have second jobs. They are coaches or they are doing different things because they cannot sustain life on a softball professional, mind you, professional softball salary. It's just not possible. And, you know, then you have baseball players, you know, once you make it to the big leagues, you don't have to worry for anything. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
when I think about softball in college, softball is a revenue making sport. It's actually the third highest revenue making sport only behind football and basketball, men's football and basketball. So it is the number one for women. And the fact that that doesn't translate over to professional softball when it is truly a league of the All-Americans, the best of the best of the college softball players, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense other than to say, well, they're just not getting that exposure. And that's exactly what's happening. The media is not portraying these women or these athletes in the light that they should be. We're not on TV the way that we should be. I think you're starting to see that shift, especially during covid where they're able to put more women on TV and saw more people watching. They saw the viewership skyrocket. And so now that argument of the chicken or the egg, right? Is it we wait till they have the viewership and then put them on TV or does the TV actually give them the viewership? It's been proven, put them on TV, people come and watch. And so hopefully that that is the shift, but yeah, the pay discrepancies go, it just kind of is a domino effect, you know, no pay, no TV. And it just kind of keeps going, but it could all be changed really easily <laughs> yeah no in, in england it's, just, it's very similar i mean you know the, the guys who are making the money the big clubs are gonna they're all getting paid more and it's the chicken and the egg thing who's going to take a punt on putting you on tv you know if you're not if the audience isn't there and trying to grow an audience i guess that's a difficult thing to do i don't like in england i don't like football and i don't like football commentary it's just a personal thing but yesterday it was really funny yesterday i switching switched over the radio in my car and it was a Premier League game, you know, growing up game, you know, best players. And the commentator was was batting away like they normally do, this guy. And then suddenly he turned around and he asked the advice of his co-presenter, who was a woman. And I suddenly, for the first time in my life, this is yesterday, so it's quite kind of, it's quite prophetic that you were on today. I had a woman start discussing, you know, the play and the action and what was going on and, you know, what she thought was happening and giving her kind of critique on, on how the match was going and different players. And I actually, for the first time in ever, I think I left the radio on because it was such an extraordinary thing to hear. You just never heard a woman commentating on an all-male premiership game. You just had, I just never heard it. And then I heard it yesterday. And I would imagine there are a lot of people out there who, who sit there and they're not going to switch off, right, when they hear a woman on their thing. A lot of men probably just completely, you know, some might like it, some may not. I'd imagine more, more kind of, not because of, because of the habit of, of you know not hearing a woman on the thing, but people will get used to it. And I think that exposure—it's a bit like you, what you've done with with your award and you know and, and talking about it and just keeping it kind of keeping it out there. People kind of you know start cottoning onto it. I mean, I don't know how big softball is. When you say this, the third highest revenue producer in college, what does that mean? Is that does that mean like in viewership for TV, or I mean, is it kind of how how close is it to baseball in viewership? I mean, is it way off? Oh no, it's it's right there. Especially the yeah. World Series, which is the end. It's actually had higher viewership in the past couple of years than the actual male World Series the softball has. Not wow. shocking, by the way. Not shocking at all. I mean, I, and I think that's one of those things where, oftentimes, I mean, you know, talking about just Tom's talk, you know conversation about female commentators, it's always been one of those hot topics where people will ridicule female commentators sometimes for perhaps not playing the game and therefore not understanding it in the same way, or they do a different version or, you know, they've never played with men or perhaps they're just because they're pretty or cute, that that's why they got the job. And, you know, and it's incredibly rude and it's incredibly, you know, uh, unfortunate that that's the way the conversation goes, but clearly they have a right just like anybody else to be able to commentate and and sit, watch and view a game and and understand the play and understand what's happening and and be into it and enjoy the sport and therefore deliver that passion to an audience but it's it's so often not the case because of 
of, of the status quo and that we, we did, we're dealing with. Now, talking about this, what can we do to change it? Okay, I mean, I, I hear you. Yes, the media could put you on more, right? But how does one do that? How does one, you know, I know you're not necessarily, you may not have the answer, but what, what are the, what, what have you been look, hearing? And as far as, is there a way to boycott? Is there a way to push people? Is there a way to force their hand? What can we do to help create these, this situation where we can have more equality and, and also just get to see some good sport? Honestly, think demanding it. I think one of the best examples of that has been the WNBA this past year with their orange hoodie. And they've actually created just their own marketing and own movement about watching the WNBA and putting the WNBA on TV. And so many people around the country have gotten behind it. A lot of celebrities have gotten behind it. NBA players, a lot of big time athletes have gotten behind it just by sporting this orange hoodie that represented the WNBA. And it kind of forced the hand of ESPN and other producers because people are telling them this is what we want to see. And if we can somehow continue that movement with people in all these different positions, not just in sports, but in television, celebrity actresses, fashion, right? Have it transcend all these different realms of people saying this is important. These women have voices. These women deserve to be seen and heard. The way we see people sticking up for each other in all these different areas, I think the same needs to be done in in sports as far as for women is concerned, as far as to continue to elevate those voices. But then you also think about just sponsorships, like things that men simply cannot represent, right? Whether it be like tan packs or pads, you know what I mean? There's hair care products, like things that should be obvious, you would think, to support these women, especially these women in sports, that just aren't happening. And so it's going to take a lot. It's going to take the brands. It's going to take, again, as we talk about the media. But I think first and foremost, it's going to take the women in these positions. I think we have a full responsibility to continue to put out our voices and demand that attention, but also hopefully garner that support and that marketing from friends and from different people from different areas to continue to elevate our voices. Because I think that just as we've seen with so much going on this past year, elevating those voices and forcing people to make changes is really how we're going to have to make a change. And I think that that not just counts when you talk about politics or a lot of different things going on in the country and the U.S. especially, but, you know, in sports as well. You know, as you, you really bring up an interesting point where you talk about these brands that could essentially be sponsoring and endorsing players and what have you. And I think a lot of it is, is a sort of, I say cultural, I mean, it's a sort of Western cultural kind of phenomenon in a way where, well, it's probably all over the world, actually, and probably it may even be better in the West, I don't know. But the, the idea of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, right? And how and I'm having worked in the fashion industry all my life. I know that there are, you know, there's people are, they, they, they love to pigeonhole. They love to put people in a box. They love to suggest that, you know, for example, if a woman's wearing makeup on the field or something, it seems like almost like a joke or it's like, why would she do that? Or, but, you know, and, and what does it mean to be a guy? And for a guy, it's like, oh, to be, have sporting prowess, to be strong, to be, you know, this sort of fighter, you know, that is very manly. But to be perhaps strong and tough and be a woman, often can seem to, to the populace as somehow that's not feminine, that that isn't being a woman, you know, and, and, so, and, if, and if a guy isn't, then he must be feminine, right? It's sort of, it's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, and again, this is this sort of eternal fight of feminism and, and equal rights and, and in, in being a general humanitarian and human rights. But what, how do we boil down this idea of what, what it means to be a person, a human being versus perhaps sex, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to framing, 
and the way that you frame these women and men in these positions, because as you spoke to, you know, me growing up my entire life, I did not want to show my arms. I've always been a very cut young girl, even without ever lifting a weight. But there was one point in my life when someone has called me manly for having muscles. And so for a lot of my life, really up until I got to college, I did not want to lift weights because I didn't want to be called manly. Right. And then you see different women who are getting this attention in the media, not because they're good, right? But because as you said, they are pretty. And then you have men who don't have to look a certain way. They just have to be good. If you're good, you're going to get the attention that is due. If you're a woman, you have to be good and look a certain way if you'd expect to get that same amount of attention. And so there's so many different things that kind of go into wanting, especially if you're a black woman, right? If I'm a black woman and I am trying to, or want to have that recognition or that attention or be just respected for what it is that I've accomplished, I not only have to not appear too manly, but also not too aggressive, also have to be eloquent. I have to be well-spoken so that I'm not appearing to be ghetto or, you know, also have nice hair, right? You'll, you'll see a lot of girls, black women straighten their hair, do different things like that to appease, right? The society or the market that they are playing to, especially me playing a sport that's majority white. A lot of my life, I felt like that is kind of what I had to do in order to get people to love me it's sad because I just think that's the way that things are framed. And I think if we can change that narrative and change the fact that kind of put it to where this is a woman and talk about her being strong, talk about her being tough, talk about everything she has accomplished, how hard it was. I think so often where you hear people trolling on women in sports, it's because these men think that they can do what we do and they cannot. But a lot of that is the framing and the way that women are spoken about. Men are sometimes given these superhuman names, right? Megatron, or, you know, you just hear all these different nicknames that these men are given to make them appear more than human. And women are not offered that same light in which, so people believe that what we do is easy. And I think being discussed in the same manner that these men are being discussed with the same excitement, the same passion, I think that that is what's going to help change or at least push towards change the way that society views women in sport and speaking on sport. It's interesting because I, I know that there's a, also a movement within men that feel insecure about the sort of the power struggle that's going on and that they're nervous that women are going to steal their thunder. That somehow they're going to come up from, I know you roll your eyes, but it, I've heard this and I'm, I'm just talking about like men who are out there who feel somehow feel that if women all of a sudden rise to the, you know, to the top and, and they are more power because they're good at doing things and they are able to do multiple things and look good doing it or whatever it might be, that somehow that's going to affect their position in life. And there's a sort of, that's why there's this sort of constant oppression of women at all times, because it, it helps just, just maintain the status quo, which suits them. It suits them to, to be the head of the household or something, you know, like those sorts of comments that come out where who sits at the head of the table, who's the money maker, who's the, you know, it's this sort of the way that society works all over the place. And that's us coming to, you know, we're talking about this living in the US and living in the UK. I mean, it's a completely different story if you're coming from say India or you're coming from the Middle East, you know, and where things are even far, even more further back, right? In, in many respects. And I'm, my, you know, both my members of my my parents were born in India. My mother's Sri Lankan. And I, we've had all kinds of issues with just even my mother and my grandmother doing things like cutting their hair short, you know, or doing something random, like learning to drive a car, because that was considered something that a man would do, not a woman. You know, why would you drive a car? You know, that was that. My grandmother was actually the first woman to drive a car in Sri Lanka, believe it or not. 
you, you realize where well, you start from there and then I've got my own daughter and I'm thinking, well, what can I do for that's why I got involved with girl up in the first place. So I'm like, whatever happens to my son, I want my daughter to have that same opportunity. You know, there's no reason why the two of them shouldn't, but I know that's not the case. Right. So again, listening to what you're saying, and I love the fact that you're fighting for this and I love the fact you're using your position and you're making a change, but I also want to think to my, you know, what do we, what do we do and how do we do it? And framing, yes, I get it, but it's almost deeper than that, right? It's something where we have to fundamentally change the way people consider just other people. And I say people because it's go Tom. Okay, so you think change, I mean, change. Or educate, learn. So change is happening. And when change starts to happen, you can jump on it and we can have a conversation like we've been having on, on, on this so far today, you know, about how we can change and what you can do to alter it. But at the same time, people are, you know, obviously people are naturally fearful of change. Do you think, I mean, there should maybe be also more conversation about how great it is, the fact that change, I ha- I just don't hear people going around saying how wonderful it is that change is happening and how, and, and saying to people, you know, and it's wonderful that people are stopped being, being so insular and, and framing and actually That's people interesting. Are, give, give people the, give people the chance to actually be more open-minded, you know, tell people there's this is how- a lot of, There's also a lot of anger and, and, and well-placed anger because there are women out there who feel that they are ignored and reduced and, you know, taken advantage of and undervalued, and they are, and that is all truth. However, there are changes that are happening and there are, as you mentioned, there are, you know, but if you look at things like the number of female CEOs in, you know, in, in Fortune 500 com- companies and what have you, is it, you know, it's, it's ridiculously low and, and women in higher management in, in business and stuff like that, you know, as far as their, how educated they are and how, you know, their ability to generate money for the company doesn't equate. So there is an anger, right? But to your point, there is change as well. And it's a fine line between how angry am I going to get? And how also am I going to be sort of celebrating the milestones or the, or the, or the moments that we get to that we pass so that people aren't just at each other's throats? Because if we are all angry all the time, we kind of miss the opportunity. And it kind of leads to this constant battle versus there being, like to your point, celebrating the change and sort of saying, well, we have got somewhere. I mean, I recently went to a, a UN event. It, it seemed like we had taken t- 10 steps backwards. Right. It was like everything was was terrible. But at the same time, I, I remember only a decade ago, there was no such event even. There wasn't and this is just 10 years ago. Right. So there is there has been some change. The fact that we're all gathering in a room and talking about this is a change, you know. I do think that to your point, right? I think it is important to recognize when things are changing. I think it's important to recognize the milestones and barriers that have been broken. But I also think it's important to not rely on just that alone, right? It's good to say, this is where we've come. This is where we want to go, right? I'm excited that we've gotten here. This is where we were. This is where we are. And this is where I foresee us going. And in order to not retract, I think it's always important to have that vision of what we need to continuously do. And, you know, I think that in regards to the system, a lot of people, as you said, they fear change. A lot of people, whether we're talking about women in sports or we're talking about racial injustice, you know, I think a lot of people are just nervous because sometimes the system suits them and they're scared that if something has changed, it's going to somehow affect their lives. And, you know, I think when someone's asking for equal, right, no one is asking to take away from what you get to add on to me. I'm just asking to be allotted the same of what you also have. And I think that's where things get misconstrued. 
when they're asking for something that's equal, some people often think that, okay, well, I have to give, 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 give this in order for this person to also have that, which is not the reality of it all. Um, you are just offered that. I too just want to be offered it. And so, you know, I think that that in order to continuously move forward, it, there has to be that reminder. I think it is great to celebrate. I think as an athlete to say, stay sane, I have to celebrate little victories, right? Oh. Because I play a sport of failure. And if I'm not celebrating something, I'm just going to lose my confidence altogether. And so I agree, it is important to celebrate those things. But I know that me having a great game, I could have a terrible game tomorrow. If I'm not continuously working on my craft, I'm going to get bad, right? It's going to get worse. And that's how I look at life. That's how I look at trying to move forward with anything. If I'm not continuously moving forward, I am slowly moving back. And so regardless of what we're talking about, we have to continue that push. AJ, Um, do you find that women are all supportive? Because I'm only asking that because I myself have experienced trolls and people getting upset with my position on feminism and the fact that I call myself a feminist and that, that kind of thing. But it, a lot of the times, and I can't, you don't know whether it's a man or a woman because on social media, you can't tell half the time who's who. People could be masquerading. But there are women, and I've had, and I know women who are f- actually friends of our family and things like that who don't necessarily believe that change is the best thing or that, or that the change that I'm asking for is too much or that we don't all want it or, and it's different cultures and different things. And, you know, it's leave us alone and, you know, mind your own business and women are fine the way they are. And do you you have any pushback from the actual female uh, audience itself? I personally do not, but I have seen that take place. I have seen those comments. I have heard those same sentiments, but you know, I think again, it just comes down to people, just people don't know what they don't know and people, but then again, people also know what they're used to. And, you know, I think if I have something right now and it's really good, I think that's just like the the difference with change too, right? It's hard for us to let things go. Even if we realize that letting this one thing go is where it's like a rubber band. As soon as we let it go, we're going to catapult into something bigger and better. But we're so comfortable in that position right there with the rubber band just pulled back slightly that we never actually release. And, you know, I think that that's an important way to look at it. There's always so much more. And of course, I don't know. I feel like everyone has just their different opinion because some women don't like to move forward with their own cause. Some people go against their own cause. You would think a woman would want to support women or would want to support people who want to give women these rights, give women these opportunities. And some people just don't look at it that way. I personally don't understand that. I don't, I can't even grasp why someone would go against their own cause, but I just think that in order to move forward, it, you really do have to support women need to support women. Um, you know, things, (laughs) we have a lot of, we have a lot of men going against us. So. But hang on, on, I'm going to hold you up on that. Actually, I agree with you completely, but you know, men are going to support women as well. And women are going to support men. The woman yesterday was doing that commentary on football. When I heard it, I left that commentary on because I had never heard a woman commentating, as I said, right. So a lot of other people out there are in the same boat. And that the thing is, so long as there isn't an issue with it, and it's like, look, we're doing this, she's a great commentator, and, they, you know, maybe a man and a woman come, they get on well, and they do, you know, they, they rub it on well in the commentary. It will become, over time, I mean, it's, everything takes time, but over time it will become mainstream and completely normal. So when I hear a woman and a man talking about football, I won't sit there and go, oh, my God, I've never heard that before, because that, you know, that's my reaction. I mean, I'm not, I'm not raging at the thing going, this is ridiculous as a woman, to, you know, 
dream of football. I'm just like, this is extraordinary. This is really unusual. because, and, and I noticed it. And over time, you just keep doing this and take away the prejudices and give everyone a chance. If, you know, if they're up to if they're up to the job, whether they're black, white, male, female, whatever, you know, if they're up to if they're up to actually doing it, and 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 you know, doing the football commentary, then they should be given the chance. And and that that stuff is happening. And I, I just think that that's not talked about enough. I think there's a lot of talk about how unequal everything is, and that definitely needs to carry on being spoken about because things aren't equal, you know. And I agree with that. But at the same time, there should be also a kind of undercurrent of like self-congratulatory behavior on everyone's part. So even the most prejudiced person who's having real trouble listening to the female football commentator, actually in the end, you know, just has to sit there and go, well, yeah, you know, you know, this is great. And isn't it wonderful that, you know, like we don't even notice this stuff and it's just completely, and it's become completely normal. And in the old days, it wasn't. I think that bit of it, that undercurrent of kind of self-congratulation, and if you get that out there, especially ambassadors, you know, like yourself, if you're talking about like getting that out there, even the most bigoted people, it will rub off, you know, because they're not hearing the negative message. They're actually hearing the kind of like, you know, it's an undefeated message of kind of hope and, 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 you know, goodness. I don't know. I just don't think that element of it, I don't hear enough of it personally. Yeah. But- no, I definitely, I 100% agree with you. Ma- male allies are extremely important. They are crucial, honestly, to the progression of women in sports and how you talked about how you sat down and you listened to this woman and your immediate reaction was this was incredible instead of, oh my God, why the hell is a woman on here talking? I think that that is the change that is happening and that needs to continue to happen. In sports world, you hear Kobe Bryant was a huge advocate for the WNBA and women in sports. Kawhi is a huge one. Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, right? These individuals uplifting the voices and celebrating the women, not just in basketball, but in all sports is creating a norm. It's making it a little, it's creating this normalcy of when you hear the best of the best male athletes saying this woman is amazing. That's when you start to see society be like, okay, well, okay, let me see. Right. Like I completely agree. It has to, we have to have our male allies coming to the board saying what you're saying that this is incredible and not that this is something that is bizarre right this should be happening more this is happening just pay attention um and i think that that 100 i think that that is going to be a huge aspect to changing the way society views these women because we are up and coming and there's so many more that's happening and so when this doesn't become something that's weird having men talk about it in a way that it is normal. Uh, I forgot the tennis player, but someone had interviewed him and asked him, this was the first time that he was the first American to win so-and-so. And he's like, first male correcting him because Serena Williams had one. Right. And it's just, it's so subtle. Right. But the, he's checking that reporter just right there by saying first male, making it known that no, Serena Williams had done this for me, right? Like things like that, where you don't even have to be super outspoken, just making sure people are very aware that these women are doing these amazing things and that you should respect it. 100%. Barrier Breaking Women with AJ Andrews, new podcast coming out. Very exciting. I'm I'm really excited to hear your voice. And I'm you're well done for getting out there and, and putting giving it a voice too. And there are women out there, obviously, all over the world who are standing up with you with this message, but there are also men. And hence, you know, Girl Up is an organization by the United Nations that I support, and I'm there to man up for Girl Up, right? And it's, it, it does require us all making a difference and standing up, but it's, it is less about being a feminist as it is about being a human, I believe. And it, these are human rights, you know, and I, I of course, are not to minimize women's rights, but it is 
we need to really think of this for everybody. Again, like as Tom mentioned, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter, really matter what, of course, what sexuality you are. It has to do with giving people the right to do their best, give them opportunity, give them a fighting chance to show us what they've got, you know, regardless of who they are. And if we don't do that, what are we afraid of, people? You know, really, what are we afraid of? And we shouldn't be. AJ, before we let you go, we have a little fun little game we play on Shaken and Stirred called Last Orders, which is rather just a bit of fun, just sort of a little rapid fire question moment, which after our rather deep and heavy and sort of serious conversation, I think we can all do with a little breaking of the ice. We don't normally get, sometimes we do, we get a little heated uh, on Shaken and Stirred, but I think this has, you know, got us all, uh, you know, rather... Shaken and stirred. Shaken and stirred <laughs> on this, for sure, exactly. So... As, a, as an athlete, you must have a mantra, I would imagine, something that keeps you going. What, what, is, what are your words? What, what is your mantra? What do you tell yourself? I have two, actually. So one is, you know, when things are just kind of lighthearted or I just didn't have a good day, I'd be like, at the end of the day, you're still pretty. You know, it's lighthearted. I have a bad day. It's like, look, there's someone out there that struck out three times with bases loaded and, you know, their hair's not as good as mine. You know, they're having worse days. So that's just a way, you know, make myself laugh, keep moving. And then another one of my mantras is whether you believe you can or you believe you cannot, either way you are right. Wow. Okay. There you go. You know, Tom's great grandmother had a rather funny, you know, incident with um, the old, are you pretty or are you not pretty comment? (laughs) His great, his great grandmother was uh, one of the, was the first female politician, parliamentary member in the House of Commons. So she was a groundbreaking woman. A very breaking woman. I love that. Any other sport that you could play professionally, what would it be? Gymnastics. Why is yeah, that? I wish I wish I was a gymnast. I was really close with a lot of the gymnasts at LSU, and I just wanted to do everything that they did, and I just could not do the bare minimum. And so, but I, I love watching gymnastics, so that would definitely be one of the sports. All righty. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Maybe Taraji. Ah, okay. Why? I just feel like one, she is, I just love her and she has so much range. And I think that she would be able to really grasp my passion for the different things and different elements of my life, the way I would want it to be grasped. And so I think she'd be really good. She would. She would be amazing. This is a, you may have to have an explanation from Tom on this one, but what floats your boat and what gets your goat? I love people that are super, I I don't even think cocky is a word, super confident. I love seeing people just excel and just give no Fs and are just like the Muhammad Ali mentality. Like I'm the best in the world. I'm pretty. I don't believe you should be humble. I think you should love yourself and say it loudly. And so that floats my boat. I love people that do that. What gets your goat? It upsets me when people try to put different people in a box or tell people what they can or cannot do, you know, for me personally, or just anyone else around me. I think we are limitless as people and we can do any and everything we want. And so it, I don't like people that, you know, are very little minded. And this is the easiest one or potentially the most difficult, shaken or stirred. Can you say both? You can say whatever you like. AJ. I'll explain. Hold on. Let me explain real fast. I think I'm shaken because I like to shake the table. You know, I come in, I shake things up, but then I'm also stirred because not only do I come in and like it's shooken up, but I'm not afraid to say or do what I have to do in order to keep stirring and keep it going. Shaken and stirred. You have it, people. AJ Andrews, shaken and stirred. 
Check out her podcast, Barrier Breaking Women with AJ Andrews, produced by Embassy Row. Real, real pleasure to have you on the Shaken and Stirred show. You are shaking and stirring everything in life, not to mention, forget about softball, but just women's rights, people's rights, human rights. Keep fighting the good fight. We have your back and we are with you and we're going to man up alongside you. So let us know as and when we can support on any level. We're more than delighted to be there for, for you and with you. And, and thanks for making such a difference. It's so important for, for you, for women, for my daughter, for Tom's daughter, and for, for all of us, actually. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.